everybody. Welcome to the No Name Music Cast. My name's Tim and this is... Joy. And before we get going today, I just wanted to give a shout out to Dave Bryce, who is a new listener to the podcast. He is famous for being the guitarist in the legendary uh, rock band Spider, boogie rock band Spider. And he's a member of the Freak Jam. And he said that he started listening to the pod. So welcome, Dave. Welcome aboard. Yeah, he said he was five episodes in. So we got him hooked. Fantastic. Well, we're glad to have you on board. So this week's episode um, is Joy's turn to pick the topic. And I have no idea what Joy has picked this week. So over to you. To be fair, I uh, went back and forth on topics, so I did not get Tim even like during my conspiracy episode. I was I was sending a message going, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So he didn't get any indication on this one. But we are going to talk about something that everybody has heard of. Everybody knows about. We're going to talk about the Forever 27 Club. Ah, so I did some research. And so, you, you know, we all know about like the Kurt Cobains and the Jim Morrisons, but the Forever 27 Club goes all the way back. There's people that I didn't even know technically were 27 when they passed away and just kind of spark and talk about their music and that kind of thing. Um, so, Tim, when you think of the Forever 27 Club, what comes to mind? Probably the ones that you've mentioned, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and I, you know, off the top, I'm, I'm aware of this concept. But they're the big two that always come to mind when, when anyone ever mentions that. Amy Winehouse and Janis Joplin, I think, are the other two. Ah, okay. Yes, yeah, so they were both 27. So for those of you who are listening or going, am I supposed to know what the Forever 27 Club is? If you're not familiar, it is a group of musicians, artists, and I think there's even probably people who aren't musicians that are kind of got roped into this now who have passed away at 27 years old. And there's a lot of, there's a high number of them. There's also some um, myth that they all had a white lighter in their pocket. I don't know if you've heard that one before, Tim. No, no, I, I haven't heard that. So if you're a smoker, a white lighter is bad luck and you're supposed to get rid of it because all the members of the Forever 27 Club, when they passed away, they had a white lighter. Now, is that true? No, it's not true. I think maybe one or two were found with a white lighter and then, you know, people gravitated towards it and just kept the, the thing alive. But there's so uh, those are the biggest art. And a lot of them died under circumstances like drugs or alcohol or just weird creepy things. So that's why it's known as the forever 27 club. When I was in high school, I even had that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the black and white poster of the forever 27 club that like everybody has. It's very stereotypical. No, I, 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 I hadn't, I hadn't seen that, but did, does that go beside your Bob Marley poster that you would have in your yeah, bedroom? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's like the rock and roll something. I'll find it. That'll be one I put on the page when we get done. But yeah, in high school, my freshman year, I thought it was super cool putting it up on my, and of course then, you know, nobody knew what it was. And I was like, well, and then I had to explain it. It kind of said morbid and it wasn't as cool anymore. But anyway, <laughs> 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 now I can say it's cool. So the first artist that I have never heard of. And you might not have either, Tim. He is an old um, blues artist. His name is Robert Johnson. Oh, oh, oh Robert Johnson. Oh, of course, of course the guitarist. I, I should have known. Of course <laughs> I've heard of Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson, who famously, supposedly, went down to the crossroads to sell his soul to the devil in return for his talent of playing guitar and singing the blues. I should have known because it talks so much about, it says he's known for his... Um, swinging, dissonant, sometimes off-kilter guitar lines? Yeah, I mean, his, um, the, there is a complete recordings of Robert Johnson, which I have, and it's every song that he ever, supposedly ever recorded after he sold his soul to the devil. Now, there's been some discussion about these recordings, whether they were recorded at the wrong speed, and you can go on YouTube, and they've slowed it down, and it sounds more like a guy playing guitar and singing. But you cannot under estimate the influence of robert johnson hmm. his his songs that he wrote have been recorded by so many people like you know cream crossroads That's oh, what say. yeah that, that is a, that is a robert johnson song love a lot in of, vain yeah a lot of the rock yeah rolling stones a lot of the stones catalog so many blues artists have covered his music he is what in the in the realm of the blues it begins at robert johnson see and i tend to credit myself as being this 
overly knowledgeable person, but I had never heard of him. And I should have guessed whenever it said he was this known guitar player that Tim was going to be like, wait a second, guys. (laughs) (laughs) But the crazy part is that he was 27 years old when he died. So that's why he's part of the Forever 27 Club. It says in August of 1938, just a few months after his 27th birthday, Johnson made moves on the wife of the owner of a roadhouse where he was playing drank from an open whiskey bottle he was offered and then died of i'm not even going to try to say s-t-r-c-h-n-i-n-e poisoning and pneumonia so he was hitting on his wife he gave him an open bottle of whiskey and three days later he died of poisoning Uh, yeah i mean I mean, I mean, things were tough back then. <laughs> I mean, you did say he sold his soul to the devil, so. <laughs> exactly. And are you, um, are you familiar with the film Crossroads from the 80s? Yes. So that is that whole film is sort of the life of Robert mm-hmm. Johnson, sort of. And there's a very famous duel at the end between the guy who played the karate kid. Is it Ralph Macchio? Yeah and Steve Vai. Now, every musician guitar player has seen that film at least once, and they've seen that end scene 500 times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sadly enough, um, though he has lived on with all of his songs that people have covered about a million times, it does say he recorded less than 50 songs, which would explain why Tim has all of his, probably all of his catalog. He is buried in an unmarked grave in Mississippi. Hmm. So that's a little sad. So it says one of the Delta Blues most celebrated and singular talents. So that is our first member, Mr. Robert Jackson of the Forever 27 Club. I'm going to try to talk about ones that like aren't the most obvious. And this one, I know Tim will be aware of it. It goes in line with our last episode that went out. Brian Jones. Yeah, from the from the Rolling Stones. Mm hmm. So he died in his own home in England in 1969 um, as the result of what they think is basically his own foolish behavior, alcohol, drugs, and then dived into a swimming pool. Um, And as clear as that seems, it seems to be one of those ones that has mystery around it with many people questioning if that's what actually happened. And even members of the Rolling Stones doubt if that's really what happened, though I don't know why they think that's not what happened. I don't know. He, um, I mean, I, I've looked, I haven't say looked into him, but I mean, you know, I've read articles and stuff. And mm-hmm. he was somewhat a kind of free spirit, arty, maverick type. And he, you know, he, he was constantly fathering children with lots of different women. And he was into drugs and he was into Eastern music and he was playing the tabla and he was playing the sitar. And, you know, <laughs> very, he was very bohemian in his approach. Yeah. And like, and you know, the Rolling says to, for, for a lot of what they were was like a rhythm and blues band. So he, he bought interesting stuff like paint it black, for example, he's playing the sitar on that track. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things I read about him when I was looking up the basic, did you know it facts? So guys, did you know it? You can take a drink now if you're on our bingo card. <laughs> There's your facts. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out there, but yeah, I, I didn't know that either. And then I read it when I was reading about him, but apparently Keith Richards even said, was quoted as saying, I don't know what happened, but there's some nasty business going on. Yeah. I mean, I said there was a lot of shenanigans with him. I mean, was it a drug dealer? Was it a jilted, uh, jilted lover's other half? I mean, who, who can say? I do know that he was out of the Rolling Stones when when that happened. I think he either left or he was fired or it was mutual. So I have the information on that. It says um, increasing estrangement from the band around 1967 onwards led him to feeling isolated and unhappy with the musical direction of the Rolling Stones. So in 1969, he decided to leave the band um, to try and form a new band that kind of went in that hippie direction you were talking about, Tim. Mm hmm. You know, like with the Dalai Lama or something. <laughs> exactly. And then that that's the point where Mick Jones, um, sorry, Mick Jones, uh, someone different. <laughs> Mick, 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 Mick Jones is in foreigner. Uh, Mick Taylor joined the Rolling Stones. And then, of course, it comes on to what we discussed in the previous episode, where eventually he ended Molly up leaving Wood. a Strat copy in my um, shared house in Staines Road, Twickenham. And then Ronnie Wood, right? Yeah, and then when yeah. he, he left the Stones, Ronnie Wood was the guitar player. Which I love the faces, so I like Ronnie Wood because I like the song. If you guys didn't know this, there's another Did You Know It. Ronnie Wood was also part of the faces. Anyway, not related. <laughs> <laughs> I think he played bass in the faces rather than guitar. He did. Uh, but that's what he was most known for before he went to the Rolling Stones, as far as I'm aware. 
Um, yes. So Alan Wilson, does that name ring a bell to him? Alan? In, no, it doesn't actually. So it says Canned Heat. I guess oh, it's the band. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, I've heard, heard of the band Canned Heat. So, yeah, they were at Woodstock. That's kind of what I remember them from. They made an appearance at Woodstock. Um, had a guitarist, Al, and he went by Blind Owl, which I, Wilson was also a troubled man, like everybody else in this Forever 27 Club, estranged from his family, lacked confidence, suffered from depression. One of his eccentric habits was sleeping outdoors. As he did it um, at vocalist's Bob Hyde's house in L.A. on the last night of his life. So he liked to sleep outdoors for some reason. He's kind of like you're saying the other one, a little eccentric. There were drugs involved. Mm -hmm. um, his, he was found in Hyde's yard on September 3rd, 1970. His hands were crossed over his chest and there was a bottle of verbituates something SCO and uh, you guys can tell I'm not a pharmaceutical person um, <laughs> by his side cause of death was officially an overdose. Um, though his drummer believes it was, he committed suicide, though they never ruled that, which if you found him and your hands were covered, you know, were over your chest, I think I would think that too. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 honestly, it's, it's really it's really hard to say. I mean, it does it does seem that that would be the case if he, if he's he's found with a bottle of uh, barbiturates, but maybe someone came in and gave him that when he was intoxicated. So, I mean, who can say? Yeah, and um, if you guys have never seen like the full concert of Woodstock, that's the only thing I know of Canned Heat from. Um, they were considerably, I guess, commercially success, but they made an appearance in Woodstock 1969, and that seems to be one of their big pieces. Yeah, I did, with Woodstock, I've I've seen bits of Woodstock, and I've got most of the soundtrack, but. Recently, I think it was a year or two ago, they they issued it was like a 97 CD set or something, 92 CDs. And it was everything, the entire Woodstock, everything that went on between the acts, the whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, I've been trying to get my hands on that because I think that'd be really interesting. They say some of the recordings are really poor and a lot of it is like basically unlistenable. And all the stuff that you've you've heard is the best stuff. Yeah, I would think so. And you have to take in perspective. There's probably drugs going on, even the people performing. Um, were you the one who was telling me that Facebook was trying to sell you a piece of the stage of Woodstock? Yeah, they had, they were running a, a targeted ad to me because obviously I got music stuff on there. But they the big plywood planks from the um, stage of Woodstock, they'd been in storage somewhere. So they decided to cut them up into little circles and put them into peace pendants. And they wanted $100 for each one. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool, but at the same time, 100 bucks for a little piece of wood. You, you know, for 100 bucks, you can go into Lowe's and buy a piece the size of your house. Also, how can you know for sure that that's from the stage for Woodstock, really? Yeah, and I mean, how do you even know that that was the stage that all those classic artists even trod on? I mean, was it a piece of the stage that was, I don't know, at the bottom or an extra, <laughs> some extra wood that they bought that they didn't use that was thrown in a barn. I mean, how, how do you know? How do I guarantee this is blah, blah, oh, Jimi Hendrix shoe print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, so can he, the one song that I know from them is Going Up the Country. I don't know if you've heard that song that, and I think that's the one they played at Woodstock. Outside of that, I don't really know much about them. But apparently no. they didn't last very long because he died. Oh. No, I mean I know the name and I know I know the the hit or the hits, but yeah. but I don't know much else about them. Well, maybe we should um, make a, everybody listening. We should definitely make a a search on Google and just try to give some of these people a little bit of listen, just for there, the heck of it. There we go. Or may, maybe Joy, you could make a Can't Heat Spotify playlist, playlist. for our uh, for our listeners, so they can they can tune in and get ed educated in the world of Can't Heat. That actually sounds fun. And maybe just a few of the other artists that maybe aren't that popular. And the next one is one that's super popular. And we just led right into it. Tim, speaking of, we're going from Can Heat. We were just saying Woodstock. Mm -hmm. It's Jimi Hendrix. He was now, 27. Did, yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't he choke on vomit or something? Um, well, it says he took sleeping pills and then he ended up, he might've ended up like choking, but it just says he overdosed on sleeping pills. Um, it says he swallowed as many as nine. And, you know, whenever you, when someone ODs, sometimes they do vomit up and they choke on it. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe the sleeping pills made him vomit, but it didn't specifically say and nothing. I read said that, of course, that could just be a rumor. Just like who's the woman from the mamas and the papas that rumor that she choked on a ham sandwich. Yeah, Mama, Mama Cass. Mama Cass. You know, it's not real, right? She didn't choke on a ham sandwich. <laughs> maybe, maybe she was Jewish or a vegetarian. I have no idea. And I don't know. Well, I hate to say it, but you know where it came from. She was the overweight member. And I think that's where it stemmed from. Yeah, I think you're probably Um, right. Which is absolutely horrible and disgusting and people suck. But (laughs) (laughs) that's my thoughts on it. Um, But no, she did not die on a ham sandwich. But at work, I was talking about the mamas and the papas. And some reason that came up. And and one of my coworkers really still thought that was a real thing. And I'm like, no. Wouldn't it be sad, though, like if you passed away and like some rumor started of something completely just weird about you and then there's no way you're already passed away so you can't defend yourself? Well, it's, it's that whole thing with urban myths, isn't it? I think a lot of these urban myths were doing the rounds even before the Internet was invented. Yeah, that's true. See, but- do you know, are you familiar with the song Jerry Rafferty Baker Street? Yes. Well, there was an urban myth going around long before the internet was a thing mm-hmm. that, that a guy called Bob Holness. Now, you probably don't know who Bob Holness is, but Bob Holness no. was a TV presenter on a t- television show called Blockbusters. Mm-hmm. And Blockbusters was, it was, they were student teams. You had two on one team and three, one on one team and two on the other or something like that. And they had, it was like a word quiz. Yeah. And there so was they this, weren't uh, a store that you rent videos from, like I initially thought. No, it was Blockbusters, <laughs> not Blockbuster. I'm sorry, continue. That's what I thought you were saying at first. <laughs> well, there was this urban myth doing the rounds for years that Bob Holness, the, the presenter of this TV show, played the saxophone part on Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street. Now, of course, in the pre-internet days... How are you going to prove or disprove that? Someone told you, then someone else told you, then someone else told you. And then after a while, it just becomes a fact because enough people have told you. Oh, did you know on Baker Street, it's Bob Holness from Blockbusters. Well, you know, they said that's, that that actually happens. It becomes a fake memory of a sense. Mm-hmm. So have you ever been told a story your entire life, like from when you were a baby, so much so that it's almost like you think you saw it happen, but you weren't either. There's no way you could remember it. Yeah, absolutely. It's called a false memory. And that's why kids specifically are so bad at testifying in court. Because I have this, I remember me and my twin sister. Okay, this is going to sound really weird, but this did happen once. And this is not to sound, we swear we both had the same dream. And this dream was that we got in a car and my mom had got out to pump gas or something. And we accidentally put it in drive while the car would be on while my mom was pumping gas is neither here nor there. That's how you make explosions happen. But it was a dream <laughs> so much. So we talked about it as kids, me and my twin sister did that. We really thought it happened. It was only once we asked mom about it. My mom's like, what are you talking about? But we both have deducted either. We both had the same dream. We talked about the dream enough or something that we really thought we had put a car and like, you know, knocked out of the park and it started rolling. Never happened. That's, it's weird, isn't it? It's so weird how our brain can do that. And then in the Spice Girls movie, (laughs) (laughs) there's a scene where um, they all go back. They're like having this rough time or something. They all go back to the restaurant where it all started. And they're standing in front of like just like this busy street. And I imagine London or something somewhere in England. And most of this probably takes place in London because I think that's where they formed. But um, when I saw another building, I got deja vu. And I was like, why am I getting deja vu? It's because it looked like the building from the Spice Girls movie. <laughs> that happened to me once. You know that that was probably shot on the Universal Studios backlot in, in Hollywood. Probably. <laughs> I don't know if it actually took place in London, but I think that's what they were going for, was it had that kind of, you know, European look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so those, but yeah, that was the weirdest thing is with me and my twin sister, we actually both believed that story for many years. That's weird. Well, at least, at least it's not like my levitation dream. I've, I've been having a, I haven't had it in the last... <laughs> 20 years i suppose maybe 25 years but as a kid i used to have this incredibly vivid dream about levitating that i could levitate and it was where i used to live in hounslow another one for your bingo card i would (laughs) i could levitate up the stairs and i would just get to i'd be at the bottom and i'd like kick my legs back and i'd just float gracefully up to the top and i can 
even if I sit here now, it's a dream. Obviously, it never happened. As Wait, I Tim, sit, you can't levitate in real life, man. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, but even as I sit here now, it was so incredibly vivid and happened so many times in dreams. I can actually, I know what it felt like to do the levitation because it was so vivid. And then there was other dreams that were similar where I would be at school and I would levitate in the playground. Or I could, I'd levitate in other places. And as I said, this is not a dream I've had in a while, years and years and years, but it, re- it was recurring enough that it's so incredibly vivid in my mind. Okay, I'm just going to, we'll get back to the music in a minute, but since we're talking about it, I'm going to tell you this dream that was so real to me. <laughs> and Tim, you're going to like, just be like, are you serious? I once had a dream and it was because I had learned about um, dumb waiters at school and Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson invented the dumb waiter where you put something in and you pull it, you know, you do the pulley system or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I had a dream that I was working at the white house and I was wearing like colonial time clothing. And I was like a maid and I put a laundry basket and a dumb waiter to go towards the basement. And I was doing like the little thing. Mm-hmm. Well, out of nowhere, I hear this screaming. <laughs> so I take off running to find out why this person is screaming. Turns out it wasn't a person. It was a mouse. I'll explain that in a minute. But I fell down the stairs because I was like trying to figure out why somebody's freaking out. And when I get to and I, it physically hurt, like I must have been like tensing my body up or something in my sleep so much that I woke up sore. Oh, wow. And yeah, because I was falling down the stairs. And when I got to the, this is the dumb part. When I got to the bottom, it was one of those like, you know, like in Cinderella, the little mice. Mm-hmm. It was a mouse screaming over Thomas Jefferson's dead body. What? <laughs> I, I still remember that as one of the weirdest dreams I've ever had. There's a lot to unpack there, to be fair. <laughs> okay, back to the music. But yeah, that's that's my... Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what I had watched Cinderella, but to this day, and I was like an adult when I had this dream. I had just been reading an article about Thomas Jefferson invented the dumb fighter. <laughs> okay, anyway. So now you guys know something very interesting about me. Okay. <laughs> on to the next one. <laughs> so we were talking about Jimi Hendrix. Well, the story is he was 27 when he passed away. Um, and he's one that they don't always believe. I think that he actually OD'd. He's got some mysterious things behind him. Though I think no matter how famous the person is, there's always, like if someone's really famous and they pass away, don't you think there's always going to be somebody who thinks something sketchy is going on? Yeah, because I mean, the fact that they're famous means that they probably have money or mm-hmm. influence. or especially, especially back in the day, everyone was off their head on drugs and there's probably drug dealers and all kinds of funny business going on i mean that's a valid point um i didn't think you brought up what i would have i didn't even think about the whole idea of like drug dealers maybe having a vengeance or something but then also the music business is kind of dodgy in general it is i mean it's um if everything you want to learn about the um the music business all you need to do is listen to acdc's is a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll that song is a guidebook for what you're getting into. If you're thinking of playing in a band, listen to the lyrics of that song. Tells you everything you need to know. That's Tim's advice for the day, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> getting so, had, getting took. I tell you what, it's harder than it looks. And now that's stuck in my head. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> we would play it, but we don't want to get copyrighted anyway. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever heard of Ron... Pigpen McKernan. It it sounds like a WWF wrestler, but it's probably not. So he was um, he formed a band with Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir in 1964. It was called a Jug Band that developed into the Grateful Dead. Oh, okay. So that's he was like a founding member, though he was never officially a member because they weren't the Grateful Dead yet when he passed away. Right. But this Rob. Ron, it's with an R, not a B, um, was a sensitive, somewhat unsightly character with a drinking problem. He got together with Jerry Garcia. They formed the band. Um, Pigpen started drinking when he was 12, which is terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And by his mid-20s, he had cirrhosis. So I deliver ulcers, health problems. He was found in his own apartment in San Francisco Bay. Um, and he had been, this is really sad. He had passed away for two days before the landlord found him because he didn't have anybody. Ew. Mm. That's, that's yeah. the, 
that's not nice. But I mean, drinking at 12, I mean, you know, gr you know, when I was a kid, I mean, we had like a, a drinks cabinet that had old stuff in it. You know, as a kid, you may have taken a swig of something just to see what it was. But I mean, actually, you know, properly drinking at 12, that's, that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, I mean, and to, my parents really didn't have alcohol around at all. And so, I mean, I think I'd try to beer here or there, like if my dad had a beer. But, and I will say, as I've gotten older, I have developed this taste. But alcohol is kind of a developed taste. The first time you taste alcohol, I don't care who you are, it doesn't taste good. So as a kid, I'd add a swig or two and I was like, this is disgusting. How do adults drink this? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like that. I remember um, as a kid, my granddad used to drink beer. He used to drink bitter, like dark, dark ale, dark beer type mm -hmm. thing. And I was always curious what it was like. And then my mum and dad would say, oh, ask your granddad. He'll let you have a drink of his beer. And then you drink it. And you're like, oh, what's this? This is terrible. Yeah. It, it, I don't, and then at some point, I think that, it, like I said, it's definitely a learned, like, once you get past the taste, you realize they're not drinking it for the taste. But as a kid, you don't get that concept. No, I mean, it's like I don't like wine. Wine always tastes ugh, to me. The one that I would rather die than drink is Jaeger. I've had, isn't that the aniseed one? Yeah, it tastes like black licorice. Yeah, that's it. I've, I've tried it, but uh, that's not good. I mean, the, the, really, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic lightweight, which I think we may have covered before. <laughs> one, uh, one light beer in my head is spinning. I am the opposite. Yeah, but I, if I'm, if I'm going to drink, the only thing I like is Guinness. That's very stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I like, and the thing is, I like you go somewhere, I have a Guinness, have a pint of Guinness, and I really like it, and I'm done because by the time you get to Guinness 2 or Guinness 3, it could be dishwater because you, you, your mouth sort of gives up at that point. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. See, I tend to be, I don't like when you mix sugar with alcohol at all. Like, I don't like anything that makes a sugar with alcohol. So, crazily enough, if I drink i actually just drink spirit spirit straight like i'll just drink vodka by itself i know that sounds really bad but i don't the only time that i've ever been sick to my like just completely sick from alcohol is every time i've ever mixed sugar with it something with sugar with alcohol does not go well for me yeah one thing i've noticed though about drinks in the united states is flavors because like in it um, maybe you can get them now but certainly in england you you have like light beer lager or you have dark beer bitter mm -hmm. then you have stout like guinness and then you'd maybe have you know heineken and other things like that but like when you come here you you have like strawberry beer and pumpkin beer and sugary flavored something yeah beer mm -hmm. It, it, it's just asking for, I think, like a combination of things that aren't good for your body. You know what I mean? So it's exactly, like, exactly. It's like missing, mixing an upper with a downer. It's never going to go well. Okay. Exactly. Back to the, we have taken this on a complete ride. They learned about our dreams, our drinking habits, Tim. All right. So I'm sure you've heard of the Stooges. Yes, absolutely. So the founding bassist Dave Zander Alexander um, had a reputation of being a loose cannon before the group even founded. He dropped out of high school. This is a crazy story. 45 minutes into his senior year, um, he, to win a bet, like I guess he had a bet with um, the other members of the Stooges, Ron Ashton and stuff. And once, try, I don't know what the bet was. It never told me what the bet was, but he literally dropped out of high school 45 minutes in because he had a bet with his other member that he would don't know what the bet was for but they, that was just what they said he had once traveled to england with hopes of running into the beatles because as you know tim when you were in england everywhere you went the beatles were obviously there and you would run into them <laughs> i tell you i used to i'd say paul mccartney for goodness sake have you got records to make why, 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 why do i keep bumping into you <laughs> it's like the um Hard Day's Night movie where they're all just running after the Beatles. Us, all England is. It's just people <laughs> running after the Beatles. <laughs> Do you know, you know, in Hard Day's Night, you know the bit um, where they're running across that field? Yeah. That's in Isleworth, which is not far from where I used to live. Did you ever run across the field? No, because I found that out after I moved here. That's what's the irritating thing. It's like a recreational ground park type place. And they run, they run, and then they mm. end up in the fire, running up the fire escape of the yeah. Hammersmith Odeon. 
<laughs> and um, so it, it doesn't in real life, it doesn't match up. But I was we was living here and I said to Hannah, I said, I think I reckon I think I recognize where that is. And I looked it up and it's like flipping Isleworth. I could have run across that pretending to be the Beatles. There you go. And you could have recorded it and then we could have posted that on Facebook today, but you didn't do it, Tim. <laughs> no, no. In reality, what I would have done, which is one of my favorite things to do, is go to places that are in films or TV or music videos yeah. and then watch the film or TV or music video in the same place that it mm-hmm. was shot. Like on your phone, just in front of it. Yeah, because like we when we was in Canada a few years ago, I watched in Superman 2 where Lois, when Lois throws herself over and then Superman comes in and gets her and then blah, 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 Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. I watched that whole scene in exactly the same place where Lois and Clark stood. I heard that was a horrible so- um, scene to shoot. If you yeah. like go back and read, they said it was absolutely terrible. Yeah. And the other thing is in the, um, in the, in the film, when the kid falls over, he seems to fall for in the film, he's falling for like, you know, a minute but really the drop, you could just drop a penny and it'd fall in about two seconds. <laughs> oh, yes, it's Niagara Falls, but I mean, it's not like it's 500,000 feet tall. Tim, that's the movie magic. Ah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So this is Alexander, Xander, as he went by, his real name is Dave. Um, so he was trying to run into the Beatles because that's all you, when you go to England, that's the only thing you're doing is you're going to run into the Beagle, Beatles. Yeah. He also contributed several out-of-the-box ideas to the group, such as an Indian Inspires We Will Fall on their debut and Clanging Dirt Rave Up. I don't know what that means on the 1970s Funhouse. I guess that's one of their albums. But those were like the songs he was behind. I knew the first one. I don't know the second song. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently he took too many downers before a festival appearance and couldn't play. Um, a few days before Funhouse came out, frontman Iggy Pop fired him. Okay. Um, and he spent the rest of his life battling addictions, health addictions, health all kinds of things. Um, and he began drinking so much that he developed pancreatitis. And after going to the hospital where his lungs filled with fluid, he died of pulmonary edema. I guess it's something to do with alcoholism. Um, but apparently that they said that it was really sad because he was a catalyst for their sound. Hmm. I mean, that, that's, that's a real shame. I mean, that he, he fell from, uh, fell from grace like that. I mean, I understand that the Iggy Pop is a bit of a loose cannon. So if you get fired from the Stooges with uh, mm-hmm. Iggy Pop at the helm, you know that you're probably not going down the right path. Well, we were having this conversation, me and a friend of mine were, and I was looking up, what was it? We were watching one of those top 10 videos on YouTube. And it was like people who've ruined their careers in five minutes. And a lot of them were people who were drinking too much or something before they went on stage because Well, I think people and maybe musicians fall guilty of this, too, because of the lifestyle they live. Mm -hmm. You have to stay sober enough to contribute on stage. So having one beer before you perform is one thing, but drinking yourself silly before you perform is never a good idea. First of all, you're not going to give a good show. The audience is going to know from a mile away. And, you know, it's just not professional. No, that's true. But there are some musicians like. Eddie Van Halen, for most of his career, was drunk on stage, but somehow his sheer raw talent still came through and it didn't seem to affect his performance too much. I mean, that's true. And that there's probably an exception to every role. I'm just saying, in general, a lot of the people they were talking about were people who basically went on stage plastered and it was very obvious to anyone around. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to perform, I mean, you, you need to be pretty straight I, I've uh, I think I've done one gig once whilst intoxicated on one quarter cup of beer, and it, and it was not good. <laughs> what a to, rebel, Tim! No, I tell you, um, there was a famous one with the uh, with Green Day where Billy Joe um, was like, I don't know if you've seen it. It was like Our Heart Radio a while back. It was right before he got sober, and it was absolutely terrible. It yeah. was so bad. Anyway, Billy Joe Armstrong, but I didn't say his last name. Anyway, so that's what happened to him. And do you, are you familiar with the band's album, Funhouse? Not really. I mean, I know I'm, the Stooges, but I'm not a, a Stooges fan. I'm, I'm, I'm more familiar with Iggy Pop's solo stuff. Me too. I knew the song We Will Fall, and but I don't know the song Dirt. That was the other one that they were saying was most of his contributions. And, of course, he died at 27, so which is kind of the point of this episode. Another one that we, I'm not going to get too much into that comes up is obviously Kurt Cobain. Mm -hmm. Um, But we all know that one. Pete Ham. Have you ever heard the name Pete Ham, Tim? No. 
Um, Badfinger. Oh, okay. Yeah, because they, they, they famously had that song that was written by um, Paul McCartney, No Matter What. Yes. So um, after Kurt Cobain, the most notable confirmed suicide with the Forever 27 is Pete Ham of Badfinger. Um, and they were signed to the Beatles' Apple label, right? Yeah, because um, towards the end of the Beatles' career, they had Apple Records and the Apple Building, which is the building where they went up and performed on the roof and that whole business. But they, they, were, they were trying to spin off Apple into being this massive multimedia entity, and one of the things they had was a record label. So sadly enough, he was, I don't think he really had as much of a substance abuse problem or anything from what I'm reading, more of just some mental health issues that were going unchecked. But basically what they said was um, he was with bandmate Tom Evans in a pub near his home in England on April 24th, 1975, three days before he turned 28. So he was almost three days for not being part of this club, um, which is a club I don't think you actually want to be a part of. But anyway, (laughs) he told his bandmate, don't worry, I know a way out. Um, downed his drink, went back to his home, wrote a note explaining his bitterness towards his manager, and then proceeded to hang himself. That's terrible. I don't know what the bitterness towards his manager was, but apparently it was bad enough. They could, they could have been real bitterness or they could have been perceived bitterness in his uh, in his state of mind. But that's that's a terrible story. I mean, they I mean, they, they were probably set up for greatness. I mean, that no matter what song mm-hmm. is great. And it's written by Paul McCartney. Oh, I mean, me. like Paul McCartney writes you a song to sort of launch you on your uh, on your career. Well, they're definitely a band that I have listened to off and on, and I love everything. I, their sound is so good. It's really sad. And um, a lot of people said um, when I was reading them, because they're Wellish, they're from, um, so they were kind of going to be, what the theory was is they were going to be almost like a new Beatles, like a new Wellish Beatles. They had that sound. And apparently there's a theory where people don't know Paul McCartney wrote that song, Tim. Mm-hmm. And there's been times where people have credited to the Beatles, thinking it was them. Yeah. It sounds so much like them. Well, I've got a. I think it's in the Beatles anthology set that I have. I have the uh, Paul Paul and the Beatles performing that song. He gave that away. Yeah, that's a great song, though. Like I could listen to that song every day, all the time. Exactly. But, I mean, I mean, it comes to something when Paul McCartney is so. Um, such a good songwriter and he has so much music in him that he can just say, Oh, I'll just give this one away. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, that's true. Like I, it, for me, I can't even write one song. So to have enough songs in you that you could just hand them out like candy. Yeah. It's like Prince, isn't it? I mean, like Prince, that's true. I mean, Prince would write Prince wrote manic Monday for the bangles. Cause he likes Susanna Hoffs. Well, and I've ever noticed that though, and there's other, there's even some modern day ones who've done that. Like Bruno Mars wrote music for tons of other people before he did his own solo career. Pharrell Williams really doesn't really, he did like one song by himself that he wrote like thousands of songs. I think there's almost, now those people are not as famous as the other ones we're talking about. They're just the first ones that come to mind. If you hear a good songwriter, it's almost like it comes instinctly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm not a good songwriter. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a good collaborator. I mean, if I've worked with Ian on songs and he has the seed of an idea and the chords and, the, and you know, I can, and then once, I, once I've, that's there, I can then embellish it and put parts in it and think of a riff and things like that. Uh, Kirk Farmer, guy I've written songs with, same. He would, he would send me a demo with some chords and some vocals and then I could, in my mind, I could hear how all the parts would hang together. But to, to, to build something from nothing, that is not a good skill that I have. I I think my problem is, and maybe you could agree or disagree, I think I overthink it mm-hmm. in some weird way. So, like, Lady Gaga has been quoted as saying most of her songs were written in five minutes. Literally. Yeah, she says I, she gets, like, this thought and it just kind of flows. Yeah, I could, I could see that. Well, and so for me, it's like I'm probably putting way more thought into it that it's worth. And I mean, a good example. So another artist that we've talked about is the Beatles. The Beatles have famously said that some of their nonsensical lyrics came from, they didn't know what to put in it. And they put like a placeholder to a tune they liked. And somehow it actually made it into the song. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I would never, ever, ever probably write a song that will make the light of day. Well, I, I've, I've collaborated on lots of songs that have, uh, 
that have, that have come out and people have enjoyed. But like, like you say, creating something from scratch is nah, that's not for me. So I am probably going to come off dumb, but have you ever heard of something called, and they said it's a grunge band, it's the Gits, G-I-T-S? No, I haven't. Okay, good. I don't, then I don't feel so bad. So there's a band um, and the girl's name, and I just want to talk to her because we haven't really talked a whole lot about any females. Um, her name is Mia and her last name is Z-A-P-T-A. So Tapata was a punk first um, and one of the very first, this is why I brought it up. She was one of the very first women to sing in the grudge scene, which was very male dominated, dominated. Mm -hmm. So it was really sad because she was, um, she had a debut album called Fritchie and the Bully um, and was a local favorite um, as they were preparing to release it. Unfortunately, I don't even want to say it. Let's just say that she was attacked and that's how she died. Ew. And is she is she a UK artist or US artist? US. She came out of Seattle. So this was in July of 1993. So right at the height of the grunge scene in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, and she had gotten a good record deal. They're getting ready to put her album out. Um, and, but what's crazy is because she was like a new artist, they were really excited about because they didn't have a lot of females in that field. Mm -hmm. Um Grunge legendaries like Nirvana and Pearl Jam helped raise thousands of dollars to hire a private investigator to find her murderer. Unfortunately, they were not found, um, was not found. It was not convicted until 2003. Oh, but the, the interesting thing is about the name, the gits, because that's a very British expression for a, uh, <laughs> maybe a stupid person sort of, I mean, you can use it in various contexts, but, uh, it's funny that, that, that she was. That's why I wondered whether she was a UK artist. Well, I mean, it just says she was in a. She started her band in Seattle. I didn't look up where she was born, but based off this, it sounds like she was American. Um, and so, but in the aftermath, so good things did come out of this. Um, so, like I said, a bunch of famous musicians put in money to try to find out who murderer. And she was pretty poor at the time, and you know, this was like her kind of big a breakout type thing so she nobody around her had the money to do this but it does say in the aftermath her friends launched launched the home alone self-defense organization hosted a series of benefit concerts and released contemplation uh, contemplation albums featuring an assortment of seattle-based bands um including her so there we go so that well, was a really sad one it's sad but as, as sad and tragic as that is at least some good thing came out of it if 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 anything could to benefit the investigation for her murderer, that's where they finally found him in 2003. So all that stuff they were doing, they did a tour with Joan Jett. Also, all this, all that kind of compiled, and then eventually they found the murderer in 2003. They had a big fun going for her. Oh, I mean, go. even I've... Joan Jett came out for her, so. And she loves rock and roll. She does love rock and roll. I don't know that I'd associate Joan Jett as grunge, but I definitely wouldn't say she couldn't do it if she wanted to. No, and I, I think in the music industry, I mean, you know, people say, oh, I'm into grunge and I'm into rock and I'm into metal and I'm into country. I think when, when you get to the level that you're actually playing out there with other fellow bands, I don't think those genres necessarily exist. Yeah, that's true. I can agree with that. I would say, I mean, if she wanted to do it, she could easily pull it off. And I love Joan Jett, so. Exactly. I remember hearing, you know, Adam Savage from the Mythbusters. Yeah, he was he was being interviewed and they, they did a tour. I actually went and saw that tour. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. I went, went to see it in Raleigh and it was it was Hannah and I and lots of kids and parents. It was absolutely fantastic. It was Adam and Jamie and they did experiments on stage and things exploded. And it was, it was really cool. Just, just when <laughs> the, the Mythbusters show was wrapping up. How much are they paying us for this app? <laughs> <laughs> But the interesting thing was, is I heard him interviewed long after the fact, after this tour wrapped up, and he said he bumped into Brian May whilst touring. They were, they, I think they were the Brian May Queen band thing that they do, which we've spoken about, was was loading in a venue, and I think he was loading out of a venue. Oh yeah, or something that happens like to that. me all the time. I just bump into Brian May on the download. Well, you know, when you're you're out touring similar <laughs> venues. And he said what he really enjoyed about talking to Brian May was not necessarily that he was a, you know, legendary guitarist and all that kind of stuff. He was talking about the tour and he said to Brian, he said, Oh, how many trucks do you have in your tour? And he said, Oh yeah, we're a we're a six truck operation. How about you? He said, Yeah, well we're we're a two truck. 
and they sort of had a camaraderie over the fact they're touring set up more than the more than anything so yeah one is a a science comedy show and one is a rock band but at the level of where you're out there doing it it's much the same thing huh. i mean that is kind of random but i guess it makes sense and of all the things for them to talk about, like you think like if I bumped into Brian May, I don't know that the first thing I wonder is how many trucks do you have in your tour? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, maybe maybe that, that was later in the conversation, but it was just interesting that even though they were completely different show experiences, the nuts and bolts of it is you're loading stuff in a truck, you're driving to a city, you're setting it up, people pay to see it, and then you tear it down and go to the next one. How would you react, Tim, if you just turned the corner and Brian May was there? Do you think you'd spasm out or do you think you'd be under control and cool? Well, I've seen Brian May in real life a number of times. I've shook Brian May's hand mm. for the National Music Show. Um, <laughs> I had like the you were just standing there and you could talk to him like face to face. How would you? I had the opportunity to do that one oh. time and I passed on it and I shouldn't have. Are you still kicking yourself to this day? Well, sort of. He, they in Felton, which is where he's from, in the shopping center there, they put like a plaque in the ground celebrating Freddie Mercury. Mm -hmm. And he was there for the opening of it. And when I worked for the London Borough of Hounslow, one of the councillors involved with that said that if I wanted to come along and meet Brian May, I could. And I can't remember, there was something that, I could have just about done it, but there was something preventing me doing it. And if I'd have tried hard, if I'd have moved some things around, I think I could have done it, but I decided against it. Were you, were you scared you would just sound like a bumbly idiot? Yeah, I mean, I met Roger Taylor. I met Roger Taylor uh, signing, and I think I was a bit of a bumbling idiot, but I was a lot younger then. But I think <laughs> if I, um, I don't know if I met Brian May now, I don't know. Well, Brian, when you, if you're listening to the episode, we'll have you on next week. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim can prove to everyone how he would react. I don't know. I've met a few celebrities. I remember when I went to the Women's March and like, you know, like Cher and everybody was there, Madonna. And I was like, imagine if I just turned around and Cher just standing beside me. And I was like, I'd probably do something really stupid and like spasm out with my luck. <laughs> So kind of glad that obviously that didn't happen, though. I did hear Madonna yelling explicitives from stage, but we're not going to talk about those anyway. No, but, right. but there we go. <laughs> All right. We've got time for about two more. So we'll hit this one. This one I just thought was random. It's kind of ironic. So, you know, we already kind of hit, we, we skipped Kurt Cobain, but it says one of the mourners at Kurt Seattle Memorial was Kristen Puff, P-A-F-F, whatever her name is. She mm -hmm. was a founding member of Courtney Love's band Hole. Mm hmm. Um, and a girlfriend of fellow member Eric's, um, Eglin's son or Aaron's son, whatever the guy's name is from Nirvana. Two months after Kurt's death in 1994, she died also of a heroin overdose at 27 in her Seattle apartment in a bathtub identical to Jim Morrison. Hmm. Well, <laughs> Jim, I thought Jim Morrison died in Paris. Well, it was just in a bathtub, not in Seattle. That is yeah, like they found him said, in the same way. You, yeah, when you said identical to Jim Morrison, I was thinking European plumbing and, and US plumbing, <laughs> and they're a bit different. Okay. So I thought it's not going to be an ideal standard or a Armitage Shanks or whatever I brand guess bath. just the people who found them said it was eerily close. But I, I mean, I'm not a, that familiar with European bathtubs, so I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me on that one. I mean, I guess, though, you know, you run with the crowd of people who are around Kurt Cobain. You're probably going to be around people who do drugs. Exactly. What it comes down to. That, that, did, that did seem to be the case at that time. You know, I've heard something. I mean, Courtney Love, I've heard something about maybe her doing some drugs, too. It is what it is. Are you, um, are you familiar with the Courtney Love, um, Courtney Love um, Alan Partridge story? Not off the top of my head, no. So Courtney Love, of course, we all know who Courtney Love is. Steve, mm -hmm. so you know who Steve Coogan is? Yeah. He's an, he's an actor, and he plays a, a character called Alan Partridge, okay. which you may or may not be familiar with. Probably not. Not really. Okay. No. So it's a, he's a, comedy, it's a comedy broadcasting character. It's a parody of a chat show host, 
and he's like everything you would not want in a chat show host. And then his fictional career follows the actual career. So he started mm-hmm. as a radio show and then it went on to a TV chat show. And then there's the, the probably the, my in my opinion, the best show he had is called I Am Alan Partridge, where his wife's left him, his career's on the down low and he's living in a travel tavern. And, you know, hilarity, hilarity in shoes and the characters can they made a Alan Partridge film and they yeah, actually talked made a little bit about him. Yeah, before. yeah, yeah. So anyway, Courtney Love, I don't I think maybe she was working on a film or something like that. And um, she she hooked up with Steve Coogan a few times. Fair enough. Whatever. You know, so that's yeah. up to them what they get up to. But she was recording an album at the time and members of her band were fans of the Alan Partridge character. But of course, the people in her band found out that she spent a few nights with Steve Coogan, and at the Alan Partridge famously goes, "Aha!" So they spent, they kept saying Alan Partridge quotes for like for days after the fact. Uh. They were like, "Back of the net, Jurassic Park, aha!" And That's apparently, funny. she didn't she didn't really like that. Yeah, well, I get the perspective, and maybe <laughs> I'm. I mean, that would annoy me too, but she kind of seems a little standoffish. Yes, absolutely. In general. <laughs> so um, then, then sometimes when she speaks and the things she says, she's a little um, standoffish, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I think. Do you, know, do you know what she's like? She's like Madonna, but without the talent. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say I am a. See, and, and maybe this is where I'm. I don't really associate her as a musician. I know she was a musician, but I mostly kind of associate her as a caricature in a way. Yeah, I mean, she can I mean, she can sing better than I can, and I'm sure she can write songs better than I can, but she's she's not somebody you associate with a long storied career of being a, a stellar musician, you know, or you know, even a musician, yeah. but someone as a media entity. She, she's famous for being married to someone famous and had a bit of a bit of a notoriety off the back of that. And in fact, there's a video on YouTube where she really annoyed a sound engineer. So he released the the recording off the mixing desk of the of her guitar. And it is bad. Well, and I did hear she always said, though, because she's a she's like a um, She's an alto, maybe a Calder alto type sound. Mm-hmm. She's definitely not a, like a soprano or even a mezzo soprano. But she always said, and I, I've heard her quote that she never actually wanted to be a singer. She wanted to be a skilled guitarist, but she was too lazy, is basically what she said. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and so she just kind of, you know, can she can kneel her way around a guitar enough to play it. But, you know, she just said I- that that was her dream and it never really happened. I don't know. You you find that video on YouTube of Celebrity Skin, what was coming off her guitar amplifier, and it is rough. Yeah. Well, Tim, there's your video. You're going to have to post <laughs> on <in the> Facebook. <laughs> We're also going to have to – do you have any pictures of when you met Brian May? Um, no. I mean, I – Roger Taylor, I guess, is what you did. Well, I, the time I met Roger Taylor, I don't have any pictures of that. The um, the time I shook Brian May's hand was at the London Music Show. I have a video that, that was taken at that event, but you can't see it's me. There's a guy in a white t-shirt. Well, there's lots of people in white t-shirts. You can't you can't tell that it's me at all. All right. Well, we're going to end it on somebody that I personally really like and was very sad when this person passed away. And that is Amy Winehouse. Mm. I love Amy Winehouse. I think she has gorgeous voice. I think that she was taken too soon. And honestly, her whole story is very sad. And the way she looked when she passed was quite sad. She yeah, just... was it was it was it drugs that took her? Yeah. Um so she was something about she wanted to go back into rehab, which, you know, she famously had this all. They tried to make me go to rehab. And I said, no, her no, husband no, no, and her. Yeah. yeah. But she went back and forth in a rehab. She was supposed to. She relapsed. Um, and it said when Amy stayed on mine was she took her last gulps of vodka at her home in London on July 2011. Um, also, she said there was still things she wanted to do in her life. Da, 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 blah, blah, blah. But basically, I think it was the alcohol, actually, that took her. Mm-hmm. So that she that, that was their way of rating. They didn't know she was going to die, but she was drinking vodka at home on in July on 2011. Now, were there other things in her system? Probably. But that's you know, just what they attribute it to. 
You know what I think of with Amy Winehouse, and maybe this is a very specific memory, but that Valerie song that she had, which I, was that her first like big breakthrough, probably hit. That was one of those songs that every cover band in the existence of the world played, and I don't know whether they're still out there playing it, but it, you couldn't escape it. It's like every open mic you went to, they went to do Valerie, and plus it only had two chords in it, so it's easy to play. But like I was playing in Moroccan Soul at the time, and, and what did we do? We did Valerie. So Valerie is actually it's not her song originally though. It's sung by a different band. It's called the Zoltans or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the Mark Ronson. But so you say that, and I have to crack up because when I first got into singing and wanted to perform, you know what one of my go-to songs to sing was? It's gonna be Valerie. <laughs> it's gonna be Valerie. The only thing is, there is a. Uh, it's very easy to sing, as Tim said. It's not. It's not anything that's too extreme. There's a few little um, key changes that are a little hard if you don't pay attention to. But other than that, it's smooth. It's easy for everybody to sing. It, it was one of my go-to songs. It's still one of my go-to songs to this day. So I'm part of that group, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still out there. That song is still still out there getting it done. Well, it has that really nice swing sound and the Mark Ronson version, which I, you know who Mark Ronson is, featuring yeah, yeah. Amy Winehouse. He's really, he he has a great way of producing a good hit. So he took a song that was pretty good and made it fantastic. And her voice is so pretty. Um, but I mean, I like Back to Black. That album was one of my favorite albums. I know every song on that. I absolutely adored Amy Winehouse. And sadly enough, she was one that I just was very sad when she passed away. And I think that it was like anything else. She probably was struggling with a lot of mental health things that just went along with the substance abuse was her trying to compensate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think she would have had a very long uh, career ahead of her. if She'd have uh, stayed around. But what's sad is she's one that when she was, when she was very high and on drugs and all that stuff, there are a few performances for her that are pretty rough. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but when she sang, when she sings really good, I mean, her voice is like, you know, nobody else can sing like that. Yeah. But when she was very strung out, it was really bad. Cause she's got, um, she could do like a counter alto, but she could also do a soprano if she wanted, like she could sing anything really if she wanted to, if she was in the right mindset. Yeah. And also, uh, depending on how medicated she was at the time. Because there was one, I've seen pictures of her or like videos of her where, I mean, she looked like she was half asleep through the performance. I don't know if you've seen some of that, Tim. It's bad. No, but, but I've, uh, I've maybe been half asleep through a performance before. So. Yeah, but maybe you didn't put it on quite as well. And I did confirm. They did say she had been observed drinking vodka that day. Um, laughing, listening to music and watching TV at 2 a.m. Um, at 10 a.m. the next day, her bodyguard went to wake her up and she did not wake up. Well, that's a terribly sad tale. Yeah, and that's a really sad way to end it. But with that being said, um, you guys can also go hear Valerie being played next weekend at the Rex Theater over here. <laughs> so her, her version of, and it is her version that it seems like everybody does. Like, you know, with her and the Mark Ronson version seems to be the one everybody kind of replicates. Yeah, it's one of those songs where the cover has become the definitive article. Yeah, I mean, I've barely heard the original at all. You know what that's like? Nothing compares to you. Everyone knows that that's Sinead O'Connor. Nobody, well, some people know, but it's not really known that it was a Prince song oh. prior. Well, and then what I always think of is Girls Just Want to Have Fun. That's a remake, too. Yeah. Some by a guy. What was that? I don't know. Some guy in the 60s, 70s. His version sounds creepy, too, if you've ever heard it. I have heard it, and it's a little bit it's a little bit odd do you know one that's is one that actually we, we should close on this one and i think most people in england probably don't even know this in the army now by status quo is a almost note for note cover of a song by a german band and i wish i could remember what they were called but look it up the cut the original version of hmm. in the it's in the army now it's note for note it's really weird huh well, you know, recently there's this song that came out, and Tim won't know this because it came out after 96, but he probably has heard the original. You've heard the band, have you heard of the band Paramore from the early 2000s? I've heard of the band, yeah, yeah. So have you heard their one song? It's called Misery Business. It's like their main song. Probably if I, I'm not off the top of my it head. It plays no, but... on radio and you've heard it. Anyway, so there's this new song that came out, and this girl's name is like, 
Olivia something. And it is so similar to misery business that they ended up having to, before they could, I don't think that a paramour was planning on suing them, but I mean, there were so many people like, wait a second here that they actually gave Haley Williams, the lead singer paramour writing credits after the fact. Oh, wow. That's how close it is. Cause I can hear it. And, and the reason it sticks in my brain, I heard it one time and I was like, wait a second. I started singing misery business thinking almost that's what was playing. And then it dawned on me a second later. It wasn't what was playing. There we go. Plagiarism, Joy. Plagiarism. <laughs> well, I mean, they gave her credit, so that's something. She's getting oh. money off of it now. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we will wrap up this episode talking about copyright infringement and other such things. There we go. Um, Any, anyway, have a good week, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. To find the album, another day to go.